Hello and welcome to Suds, the weekly podcast which wraps up a great week on Startup Daily TV on Ausbiz every week. My name is Simon Thompson and you must be... Elliot Hasty here with you for another week, Simon. Um, and look, really, we are going to talk about it, but it's just been budget, budget, budget. Oh, don't you just love this week? Elliot, I have to ask you, are you a paper number two or a paper number four man? <laughs> I'm looking at you very good. I don't, what? Yeah, yeah well, okay, lockups is not what you think it means, but yeah, it's one of those things when you sort of drill down into it, and I reckon Scuddy and a few of the others kind of know, you go through the papers looking for the fine print and detail, and they're the two papers you go to beyond the headlines of what Josh Frydenberg says in the speech, which give you the numbers. Oh, I'm and, definitely number page well, that, number one and, and the executive and summary. And the forward estimates are in there, and you're going to see who gets cut, who gets more money. Um, there are some very interesting numbers in there this year, and a few numbers missing which I think is even more interesting going to an election. But before we do that, let's look at hacking. Mate. What a week for hackers. Who's there? (laughs) Password. Give me your password now. Meta and Apple. What is going on on this? Mid-2021, hackers managed to basically fake that they were law enforcement and steal this data. I mean, this is mind-blowing in terms of scams on two of the biggest tech companies in the world. What's most mind-blowing about it is, you know, sometimes you talk about these hackers and it's like, how are they doing it? This is really incredible hacking. This one actually just sounds like, oh, no, I just pretended to be law enforcement. It sounds like a good, old-fashioned, easy hack. Yeah, this, it's kind of like phishing almost, I suppose. You'd describe this one. And, of course, the trick was they used an agency that didn't require a subpoena because normally they they have to show a subpoena if you were the police or anything like that and got away with it. But this reminds me, every conversation we have, there is human error is sort of one of the forefront things around cybersecurity and what goes on. Two of the biggest tech companies in the world fell for one of the oldest tricks in the book, which is absolutely astonishing. But we don't quite know yet, do we, Simon, how much data was taken out? No, I mean, Bloomberg wrote this, broke this story, I think, on Thursday morning, our time, and it is just extraordinary in terms of talking about what went on. Um, so they, they think customers' addresses, phone numbers, IP addresses were all part of these forged emergency data requests, um, which, as I said, normally involve a search warrant or a subpoena signed by a judge. However, they pretended to be someone else and managed to get away with it. Now, the story is still breaking as we discuss it, but, I mean, just wow. Um, And, of course, it's been a busy week when it comes to hacking more broadly in cryptocurrency, Elliot. One of the largest ever DeFi hacks, in fact, Simon. So an attacker stole $625 million worth of crypto from one of the blockchains that's underlying the game, Axie Infinity. Now, this game is huge. It has like millions of daily players on it. So the the potential to get a lot more was just absolutely mammoth. But already $625 million, one of the largest. Now the question is, how are they going to withdraw it? Well, the other question has got to be how much longer can the company go on if you're suddenly missing more than, well, nearly a billion dollars Australian? Well, the company said that it will reimburse all the players. So the company came out today saying you'll all be reimbursed. But apparently because of how the hackers went about it, sounds quite smart, the hack itself, but the underlying method of where they put the money went into, you know, your your centralised exchanges, which means that there's companies behind them. It's not just in some dark web which means those companies can then find these traces and be like, hey, it was Joe Smith over there that did it. 
So this is kind of like I'm, I'm trying to sort of figure out the whole sort of crypto blockchain Swiss bank account vibe going on. Look, it's basically the Cayman Islands. No, it's basically like they put it in their bank account with their name attached to it. Oh, my God, that's like those two New York hackers that got done for this sort of thing. The, what so, was the, uh, oh, the crypto, the crypto couple, yeah, 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 that did the dancing videos. Look, it's an incredibly, it must have been an incredibly smart hack of them, but apparently just what they've done with the money is incredibly stupid. So they're going to get caught? Well, experts that are smarter than me in crypto expect so. But I'm sure we'll continue to see this story break. Because um, I'm, see I'm where still it goes. like, is, doesn't the crypto like a little bit like a banknote kind of have a serial number on it? So as you're saying, you know, it's John Smith's crypto. Well, but the whole point, of course, is that you are going to be able to get away with, you know, your dark webs, your illegal activities. With it's like, you know, have you ever seen the RBA ads where people go, "Is cash dead?" And always there's some old person who goes. Oh, no, because you want things that aren't trace to be purchased. <laughs> it's it's still that. <laughs> I, I surprised one of the team members today when I pulled $5 out of my wallet to buy a cup of coffee. And it's like, you have cash. Oh. It's like, yeah, I always have cash. <laughs> Whenever the presenters in the room are like, can you buy me a coffee? Here's a five. I'm like, and what is this mysterious pink thing? <laughs> what do I do with it? Great piece of plastic. <laughs> now, speaking of money, Elliot, the budget, we had an epic show on Wednesday, wasn't it? Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah. <laughs> just like it has been a big week with um, FinTech Australia, Tech Council of Australia, Jack Chee from William Buck, the advisory and accountancy firm, um, you know, a who's who of people, Science and Technology Australia, talking to us about their budget reactions. It was a bit of a mixed bag. Um, there were some moments where everyone was cheering, and but I think the big one where everyone was a little bit WTF was around skilled migration, Big unanswered question in this one. Um, Kate Pounder, CEO of the Tech Council, was overall very positive. She was. Um, so, you know, you were talking to her about the skill shortage and she sort of did directly address it and she was very, she seemed very confident in the numbers that were sort of provided, uh, particularly around, you know, training people, retraining people um, as well. So, particularly for women. So she she came on and she sort of said, you know, that people are underrepresented now in the tech industry, but this budget might help get them there. Have a listen. Skills shortages have been the single biggest issue for the industry, and that's not purely a function of closed borders. That's uh, a long-term trend where we've seen huge growth in jobs in the sector, um, but that hasn't been matched by huge growth in the number of people training and coming into those jobs. So we welcome the fact that there's some concrete investments in the budget to try and uh, reduce that shortage problem and in particular as a measure to uh, train more women to help them reskill and move into the tech sector because we know that they're underrepresented there now. So, you know, she then did carry on to say, Simon, that it's not just a case of it's good for the tech industry, but she also made the broader thematical point that it's really good for women as well. Well, I think there was an allocation for women along the way around about $3.9 million over two years to support women pursuing tech opportunities. And as she points out, most of them enter between the ages of about 25, 30. So you do need to get people early on when they're thinking about where they're going next. You know, you've probably just finished university, done your first job, where to next? But we've still got a long way to go on that front when just a quarter of the workforce is women when it comes to tech. But this is a chance to shift that dial. And, you know, as she said, it 
it means there's greater economic outcomes for the women that do get involved as well. And I think it's a great opportunity as women for women as well because these are often high paid jobs we know they're amongst the most secure in the economy amongst the most flexible so getting more women into these areas uh, can help improve their economic outcomes as well now simon one of the other ones who was less confident in the numbers was jack chi yeah jack from william buck always goes through the numbers he is my my go-to he loves budget paper number two i can tell you now everyone there really does go through it with a fine tooth comb and for the last couple of years, I've got him to do a report. Last year, he gave the budget a B minus in terms of startups uh, and technology. This year, he was not as impressed. It was a C minus. Which looked very much like my usual report card in school. <laughs> <laughs> you could be treasurer one day, Elliot, if you keep this up. Um, so we got him on the show to talk about what was good about the budget because we did want to start on a positive front. Some things are moving in the right direction. Um, but in terms of whether there were any genuine game changes for the tech sector as a whole, uh, there has been none of the, that, uh, that in the budget. Um, look, in terms of looking for the opportunities within the budget, so um, there's a couple areas that I see. There is the uh, trans- uh, commercialization of university research. Now, about half a billion dollars earmarked uh, over five years. Uh, essentially turning university projects into uh, you know, viable commercial projects, uh, businesses. Um, so that's a real opportunity there. Um, to take advantage of that, a startup needs to be aligned with one of our uh, modernizing uh, manufacturing uh, strategy uh, areas, which is, uh, includes things like uh, resources, critical minerals, food, medical products, recycling, clean energy, uh, defense and space. So that's, that's an area. Um, where startups can partner universities to commercialise uh, university research. And another area is basically boosting the modern manufacturing strategy. Once again, those are key priority areas. Mm. Um, now, if a, um, a startup can align themselves somehow with one of those uh, six areas, then there has been an increase in funding. Okay, so there you go. You started off positively. It is a C-, minus, but as he said... There are some things moving in the right directions. There is some increase in funding. Well, the interesting thing, and this is a theme we'll continue on with Suds today, is that link with universities, he points out. If you partner up with the unis, the government is keen. They've, of course, got that modern manufacturing model with six key areas that they want people to work in. So there are opportunities, but they are a little bit niche. So, um, you know, that one will pan out interestingly. Of course, the employee share scheme was the other one. There was a lot of excitement around that. I have to say that subsequent to the budget, the legislative papers came out on Wednesday night. Um, it doesn't address the tax issues the way that Jack would like to see and many would like to see. So there still remains a major pain point around that. But nonetheless, the industry was pretty excited to see at least some of the issues around share schemes being addressed. And and Jack did say, you know, this is what he hopes for, but there the needed to be more uh, certainty around it. But what I liked most about that chat you had with Jack was that he wasn't on the show to complain. He was there to say, this is what it is. But here you go. I've got four ideas that will actually help move the dial. Hello, any coalition MPs or opposition MPs listening. We know you've got uh, an election coming up in the next couple of months. So Jack put together four measures to move the dial on Australian tech. Most importantly, they won't cost a fortune. So if you are a treasurer trying to address a deficit, here are some options that he laid out. 
the top four things um, the government can do without costing itself uh, an arm and a leg is a um, modification of the R&D tax incentive to specifically cater for agile software development uh, because the rules were uh, originally written for traditional laboratory type uh, experimentation. Uh, uh, Number two, there should be a big increase in the maximum tax rebate available to investors under the early stage innovation company tax incentives. Uh, So currently the ceiling is 200,000. In my view, it could be increased uh, significantly to say $1 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three... Which is a two-bedroom apartment in Sydney, that is. <laughs> That's right. If you're lucky, depending on which area. Um, uh, number three, there really needs to be a massive increase in skilled migration because the whole thing about um, limiting uh, migrants is protecting Australian jobs. Now, in an environment where there is just record low unemployment and huge labour shortages, that's no longer a valid reason. Um, so there really needs to be an increase in um, migrants from an engineering, science and uh, software development background. Mm-hmm. And, um, and thirdly, um, to help Australian small business in general, not just tech, but there needs to be a minimum mandate for government bodies um, you know, uh, to spend a minimum uh, proportion of their external expenditure uh, on uh, smaller companies. And look at that, two minutes to lay out four options that won't cost a lot but could really shift the dial. Well, with me doing property jokes in the middle of that, Elliot, <laughs> but, you know, I do think it's fascinating. Early stage innovation company tax offset, raising that from 200000 to $1 million. But I do think the other one that was fascinating, along with, of course, the skilled migrant thing, was mandating government bodies to spend at least 10% of their budget on small Australian companies with revenues of less than $10 million. That's using your buying power in a really smart way. We talk about it with consumers all the time. If governments get on board with that and you think about how much the budget is, it's, we're talking about a couple of trillion dollars in, a, in an economy here every year. That could really make a big difference. But, of course, that requires a massive mind shift. But what a great idea. Absolutely a really good idea as well because it also gives that commercial, you know, the market still gets to decide but at least it sort of helps prop up some of these companies that are forming. And one of the biggest areas where we're seeing that is, of course, fintech. But they didn't get much love out of this budget, did they, Simon? Look, Andrew Porter, CEO, came in from Fintech Australia and, you know, they think they've had a pretty strong relationship with the government and they thought they were on the right path. They were expecting sort of a couple of things in the budget. So I sort of said to him at the start, mate, um, Do you feel like you've been dating someone and you're going just fine and then you find out they're seeing someone else? Because, of course, there was plenty of money for the construction industry, for apprentices. There's that whole tradey high-vis mentality in there. Uh, I do point out that many of those people are also using a lot of digital stuff. So, you know, tech's got a role to play even if you are holding a hammer. But, yeah, listen to what he said about how he felt about the budget. You know, where's the love? That's certainly (laughs) what we're hearing today uh, as a result of last night's budget. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought, you know, we've had a, a close relationship with this, uh, with the coalition government. Um, a lot of uh, attention on fintech and, and uh, investment in that space and seeing fintech as a, as a driver of economic growth. And to see, uh, you know, r- really nothing, nothing in that budget that, that would really support the industry. Um, you know, certainly some, some minor uh, things which, which would have an Im- a slight impact, obviously, the, um, you know, the CDR funding. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, um, but you know, there's a lot of 
you know, it, it's pretty vague where, where that's uh, you know where that funding is going to go. I think about twelve and a half million uh, out till twenty twenty six, but it's still you know fill in the the, the blanks on that one. Um, and also you know obviously as has been touched on by a number of guests already, the employee share scheme uh, changes will will benefit some fintechs, um, as will the tax deduction for investment in um, you know digital uh, investments by small business. But um, again, there'll be a sort of flow on into a few fintechs, uh, but. Uh, you know, no, nothing direct and certainly not the big yeah. issue, uh, which again has been touched on, uh, is really around the tech talent shortage. Uh, no, no real initiatives uh, that we can see to sort of uh, you help didn't. that. Look, I think we've all felt like Fantech Australia at one point in our love lives. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, that was the thing. He, again, got to the issue of skilled migration and, as he described it, he called it grim for the sector. So there's a little bit of a crisis going on here and this theme, you know, in terms of promising tech jobs, the ambitions that the Tech Council has in terms of 1.2 million jobs by 2030, which the Labor Party has now endorsed. We've talked about it on the show with Digital Skills Organisation this week. We need about 60,000 people a year to skill up. Now, the budget was actually good in terms of the $550 million for employers to gain digital skills, offering 120% tax deduction. Great initiative. Hopefully a lot of people will embrace that, small business will embrace that, and we will see those skills come along. But it's not really anywhere near the innovation that I think everyone was hoping and expecting to see ahead of an election. And of course, you know, going into this election, as you said, we did have Labor come out last week with their own goal. Now, you had quite an interesting conversation on Monday regarding this, Simon, didn't you? Because it all stemmed from that promise of 20,000 additional university places. Now, there was that question, there was a tweet, I should say, from Blackbird about just what that meant. Well, Nikki Chevak sort of said there was a paucity of imagination in governments in turning to universities to solutions. And so I asked two people who I think are at the real coalface of this. That's David Burt, the Director of Entrepreneurship at UNSW. Now, he used to run the On Accelerator at CSIRO, so he's got a pretty strong track record. Murray Herbst, of course, ex-Fishburn, is now Director of Entrepreneurship at UTS Startups. They've both done this from both sides of the equation. They are big fans of the universities and how they can tackle these particular issues. So I asked them, you know, does Nicky have a point here? Are we lacking imagination? Here's what David Burt had to say about this. So think about what was in that tweet. If you're a company that would like to do R&D, let's just pick on biotech as an mm-hmm. example. If you want to start doing R&D in biotech and product in biotech, you're going to need to spend five to $10 million to create your own labs just in order to get the physical infrastructure you need to do product development. Or you could come to an agreement with the university and get access to that space for maybe $10,000 a month. So I think it's, it's sort of not, it's not appropriate to say that if you want to do R&D, ignore the universities. I think companies are leaving a lot of potential on the table if they don't. So the other backstory to this, of course, is that Main Sequence Ventures came out this week announcing that they're going to fund a whole bunch of biotech startups going into a new program at UNSW. So, yes, he does have a dog in this fight. But the other side of that is they've just built this $250 million facility there at the uni to be able to tackle these particular issues around SynBios, synthetic biology. And this is an extraordinary opportunity. And I think we can see some really incredible things coming out of this. But the pair of them pointed out that there are these important roles that universities play in the whole thing happening. And the debate is around causation or correlation. Murray, as you'll hear, actually didn't even go to university, but he's had a road to Damascus experience along the way. 
I'm a high school dropout uh, and I am one of the people that used to sit there criticising universities uh, and I just didn't understand what actually goes on inside them. They're obviously complicated pro uh, places with lots of people doing lots of things. But in running Fishburners, in being at Westpac, running their accelerator program, in working with loads and loads of VCs over the years, I can do things at a university I can't do anywhere else. And I am 100% convinced I can't do it anywhere else either. Organizations that care about the long-term prosperity of the society that they operate in, that will invest in programs like ours over the longer term to create the environment that makes them relevant, that makes them kind of vibrant as places. If you don't have a vibrant economy, universities don't exist. And every university knows that. And that's why they spend money on the things that we do. So I think that's the th um, that's sort of the page that I come from it as well. It's similar to Murray's. I'm not a high school dropout um, or a university one for that matter. But there is those people out there that are definitely of the opinion, well, I didn't need to do it. I, but, you know, he's correctly pointing out, well, there's also a reason why they should be and, and why they are doing it. Well, this is the really interesting part, I think. You know, it's the difference between being in a garage and being a SaaS company where you are all writing software and the deep tech stuff, the stuff like space, the stuff like biotech that is going to require a heck of a lot of infrastructure. That's the point that David made at the start. And we continue the conversation along that line. And this is, I think, the really fascinating thing about it. He makes the point that, you know what, 20, 30 years ago, if you even just wanted to do a SaaS business, you needed to get near a university because they had the best computers. They had this massive infrastructure before the days of desktop computers came along where you needed to be able to be to operate. He makes this point when it comes to Australia's space industry, another area the government's very enthusiastic about. Similar to, say, biotech, the space industry is one where the sticker price to just get started is, is pretty high. So if you want to put something in space, you want to make sure it works before you put it up there. You can't fast fail in space if you're going to launch a satellite. <laughs> so great example of a collaboration, you know, the commercialization R&D that came out of UNSW is a startup called High Earth Orbit Robotics. Mm. Here Robotics with Will and Haranya, the founders. They met during their PhDs at UNSW. They really um, worked for four years to just demonstrate and prove that they had the potential. And, and now they've got into Y Combinator, they've raised from VCs and, and they're sort of selling products in space. So it's, it's not something you can do from your garage. These guys were on campus for four years trying to build their company with the full support of the UNSW Founders Program. And, and similar to something like biotech, if you've got a vision for a new product, sort of engineering biology, and just to sort of bring it back to a comment you made earlier about sort of SaaS companies, if you think about where the computer engineering, the software engineering industry was in the 70s and 80s, you wanted to program on a computer, you better work for a university or, or a big corporate like IBM because they're mm -hmm. the only ones that could afford them. Similar today, if you're trying to engineer biology, you, you need to work for a university or have access to the kit of the university. I certainly think it's going to be something that we're going to keep discussing because there's not going to be a, a shortage of university funding and also the accelerators that both universities are doing and the startups that we're seeing come out of them are doing some tremendous jobs. Um, so, you know, there's there's room for everyone, hopefully, if we can just get the balance right. And I would quite simply remind everyone that, you know, even Nikki at Blackbird met Mike Cannon-Brooks 
at university. They're at UNSW. Of course, Scott and Mike met at uni together. Even the Canva founders, Cliff and Mel, met at university and it came out of that. There are all of these moments, these serendipitous moments. Is that causation correlation? Well, you know what? When you put a couple of bacteria in the room, something interesting pops up. The only thing I ever met at university were drinking buddies, Simon. So clearly I was not meeting the right people. Well, you know, fermentation is a very important part of (laughs) Symbio. So you were just doing your own Symbio research, Elliot. Absolutely. That's what I'm going to call it as well when I have to look back at those records. Now, one of the other conversations we had, and, you know, this is a government focus this week. It seems to be, you know, some weeks it'll all be about capital raises, other weeks it's the government. We had Senator Jane Hume on, um, and she's been pretty busy last week. Um, you know, at the government talking about a range of different legislation. You had a chat with her and there mm. were basically three announcements within a week ahead of the budget where Senator Hume was at front and central around yeah. that, and that, of course, is the cryptocurrency stuff. But the one that I think caught our eye was the games tax offset. I think the industry has been lobbying for a long time for this. It was on the cards and expected, but it was pretty exciting to see it happen. Now, you chatted to her on Friday. I have this vision of her in Senate Estimates playing Minecraft off the back of what she said to you. I love the games industry. I find this such an exciting space. Uh, you know, it's around $255 billion in, uh, in worldwide. And yet Australia really only participates to the tune of around $144 million in that. But it is growing. We announced a digital tax offset, the 50 cent, 50% fully refundable tax offset in last year's budget that's now coming into play. And uh, and if we think that this will encourage new innovators here in Australia, but also uh, people to come from overseas, those entrepreneurs to come from overseas. It's a great industry for Australia because it already has, the games industry has a lot of synergies with things that we're already good at, just like film and television and um, animation. But more importantly, I think, from my perspective, is that the skills in the games industry are really transferable across other areas of, of exciting tech development, things like fintech and regtech and, um, you know, med, med tech, for instance, as you know, as well as our thriving tech sector and um, you know, amazing organisations that we have here. You know, we'll be talking about Atlassian and Canva just today. Uh, so I think that this, this introducing games as a sort of priority sector, something that Australia could have a potential competitive advantage in in the future, is a really exciting development and just shows the Morrison government's commitment towards a thriving tech sector. You know, Simon, I had the exact same thought after she started. I love games. I was like, I can just see in your perfect living room with lots of books that there's a computer game hidden behind there. I just know. I wonder what she, I should have asked her. I shouldn't have followed up on the taxation legislation. I should have asked her. So what games are you playing? Oh, Grand Theft Auto, I would imagine, perhaps. I think, Simon, you're showing your age at that one. There hasn't been a new Grand Theft Auto out in years. <laughs> I've been waiting for it. And I'm the, I'm a basic gamer myself, so these some of the digital games that she is talking about isn't sort of the stuff that I would be playing, which is, you know, you, you call the duties of grandpa photos. Yes, I'm very bad. Elliot, I'm still on Space Invaders and Pong, <laughs> mate. But, it, it, you know, it is more about sort of the, how we started the show, the Axie Infinities the, of, of the world. It, it's those sort of games, particularly when you think about the play-to-earn plug-in 
foundations of them. But she points out that this is a $255 billion industry globally, absolutely massive, and Australia's got a small fraction of that. I think it was about $120 million, she said. So imagine the growth potential there, and the government seems to be supporting that. But I really like the point that she made, that the transfer of skills go across all the other aspects of tech. So you know what? If you just get young people playing games and coding games and designing games, the next thing you know, you are working for Atlassian on Jira or something like that, or you're working at Canva. You know, Simon, I'm going to clip this this little audio package up, send it to your kids. So if you ever tell them to stop playing computer games, they can just put your words back into your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they do already, Elliot. Don't worry about that. But that does bring us to the end of this week on Startup Daily TV, on Suds, not for the website, Simon. That is a 24-7 thing. Yeah, absolutely. Startupdaily.net, plenty of budget coverage, plenty of the things we talk about on Suds you can find on the site, of course. Elliot, thanks for a great week. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit knackered after budget week. Thank you for your help along the way, all the team at Ausbiz and, of course, the team at Startupdaily.net as well. Everyone, have a great weekend. Go the Swans. Always. I'm not going to defeat you there. Go the convicts. Go the convicts. Oh, no, we're trial games, so we're not quite in season yet. But uh, I hope everyone has a safe and dry weekend. We'll see you next Friday. Bye.